Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm chapter 100, verses 1 through 5. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, this summer,、uh, and what we do most summers is、uh, a lot of the staff, we take a little bit of time off, which is good because not only does it give us a chance to recharge, but we also get to hear from really terrific preachers throughout our city. So it is my privilege to introduce、uh, Matt Terrell, although I think many of us know him by now.、Uh, along with Edwin Cologne, he's our most invited speaker. Uh, at Exilic. So by now, he's a familiar face、um, and he's a terrific preacher. I, I love Matt's preaching, which is why we invite him so much.、Uh, Matt is the RUF campus minister for RUF City Campus here in New York City. If you are a college student uh, and, uh, in, in New York City, he's definitely someone to talk to. Um, and he does really important ministry and work throughout our city. He's、uh, the proud husband of Megan, and he has three really well behaved children. <laughs> I, I get very jealous when I, when I, when I see how well behaved his, his kids are.、Um, but、uh, I want to invite Matt. Matt, thank you for coming. Let's welcome him now. Thank you, brother. It's good to be with you. I, I want to know. Is there going to be a water balloon toss at the field day? Do we know, is that event scheduled? Does anybody know? It is now? Well, I, I'm, I'm going to be out of town, otherwise, I would be tempted to come.、Um, when I was in elementary school, myself and Jeffrey Henneberg were undefeated in the water balloon toss、um, in every field day for many, many years.、Um, it's great to be with you.、Uh, as Gene said, I've been here a number of times, worshiped with you a number of times.、Um, And this is my first time in your new space, so this is really exciting.、Um, and I'm grateful to be with you.、Uh, would you pray with me briefly, since what we just read is God's word and not my own? I'm going to pray and ask for his help very quickly. Father, we thank you that you、um, not only are a God who has spoken, but you are a God who continues to speak through your word. And so we ask that you would do that this morning. Would you speak? Through your word and through me, your servant. And would you bring what is dead to life? It's in Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.、Uh, I wonder if you have ever changed the settings on your Google Maps. I like to do this with my Google Maps, and it annoys my wife because it's less easy to read. But you can change, there's a, there's a way to change the settings to where it'll show you the terrain. Have you ever done this before? So, if you change the settings in your Google Maps right now, it'll show you, for instance, that、uh, like downtown Manhattan is mostly flat because it used to be a swamp, essentially. But if you kind of scroll up and you scroll uptown and you see, wow, there's actually a lot of hills 
uptown in Manhattan. If you keep scrolling up, you see the Hudson River cutting through the Shawagunk Mountains. It, it reveals to you the contours of the landscape, whereas like the ordinary, um, the ordinary kind of default settings for Google Maps, uh, it's just flat, right? It'll show you the, the roads, it'll show you the towns and the cities and landmarks and things, but it doesn't show you the contours of the landscape. It doesn't show you the, the terrain. And in the Bible, the Psalms are a little bit like that terrain setting in Google Maps. They are like a topographical map of your soul. They show us the many contours of the spiritual life with the God of the Bible. So they walk us through the high peaks of praise and adoration, of of wonder at who God is and what he's done. They walk us through the deep, dark valleys of lament and sorrow and doubt and anguish. And they walk us through everything in between. And this morning, we are going to look at one particular contour from Psalm 100, and that is joy. We're going to look at the contour of joy in the Christian life. Now, when the Bible talks about joy, most of the time what the Bible means is this. Joy is deep, resilient, abiding gladness. When the Bible talks about joy, it's, it's talking about this thing that is this deep, resilient, and abiding gladness. It's a gladness. It's a, it's a satisfaction, a restedness that's deep rather than shallow or superficial. It's resilient instead of fragile, and it's, it's abiding. It's durable rather than fickle or fleeting. And this is different than happiness. Happiness is wonderful, um, we all enjoy being happy, but um, happiness can often be very superficial and, and fickle and fragile because usually it's, it's tied to some pleasant set of circumstances in our lives. And as soon as one of those circumstances changes, a relationship ends, a job changes, some setback comes our way, and our happiness goes with it. So joy is something deeper. It's different. It's deep, resilient, abiding gladness. That would be nice, right? It would be nice to have a source of satisfaction and stability to anchor us in the anxiety and the chaos of modern life, particularly life here in New York City. So here's what's interesting about this psalm that was just read for us. Psalm 100 commands joy. It commands joy. The first two verses are an exhortation. They are a command to be joyous. They could have said, make a noise to the Lord, serve the Lord, come into the Lord's presence. But what do they say? Here's what they say. They say, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. One commentator notes that these these words here for joyful noise and singing are like outbursts of delight. Come into his presence with outbursts of delight. In other words, these early verses, these first two verses, aren't just commanding action. They aren't merely saying, go through the motions, the the rituals of a relationship with God. They're doing something much more challenging, I think. They're commanding a disposition. They're commanding a, a posture of the heart towards God. They're commanding joy. Deep, resilient, abiding Gladness. Now, how can they do that? How can they command joy? Um, 
When Megan and I were in grad school, we were in seminary, and we had a motor scooter, and it was glorious. Uh, It topped out at about 35 miles per hour. We were on a really tight budget in those days because we were both in seminary and working part-time, and it was great because this thing got like 100 miles to the gallon, and so we were spending about $4 a month on gas. It was fantastic. Um, And we lived in this apartment complex with some other families who were going to the same seminary as us, and it was about 30 minutes away from campus. And um, so we would ride together. Um, we, we thought that it would be a really good idea, these, these other families that were living with us, because um, they were also on tight budgets, if they also got motor scooters. And so we would ride to, to class together, me and three of my friends, um, d- through the roads of St. Louis, uh, in formation as this like theology nerd scooter gang. And so we'd like, stop at a stoplight, and we'd be quizzing each other on Greek vocabulary or church history or whatever. And it would have been perfect, except that my friends decided to one-up me and get motorcycles. So if you can picture it in your mind, the four of us are riding down the road, and uh, they are looking really cool, the three of them on their motorcycles, and then putzing along behind them, and my tiny little motor scooter just trying to keep up is me. And it was very clear that I did not belong. I was not in the class. I was not in the club, right? I wasn't as cool as them. And, and um, now, here's a little thing you need to know if you've never ridden a motorcycle before. Um, if you've ridden a motorcycle, there is a secret wave. A secret wave. Just for motorcyclists. It's subtle. It's cool. It's just the sort of thing that you would expect motorcyclists to invent for themselves, a way to like acknowledge to each other that you're in the cool motorcycle club. So here's how it works. If you're going down the road this way, and another motorcyclist is coming down the road towards you this way, it's just a very subtle chin up, hand down. You make eye contact, you look at each other, and it's just kind of like, oh, I see you, yeah, I'm cool, you're cool, yeah, we see it. And then hand back, chin down, and then you just keep going. So we would be riding down the road on the way to class, and we would see another motorcyclist coming towards us, and that motorcyclist would see my three friends, And their chins would go up and their hands would go down and they would acknowledge one another's superiority. And then they would see me trying to keep up and the chin would would go down and the hand would go back to the handlebar because I was not in the club. I didn't belong. It was very clear, right? I'm just trying to keep up. I'm trying to be in the club, but I knew I didn't belong and they knew that I didn't belong. They knew that I was a poser. But every now and then, a very generous and kind motorcyclist would come down the road towards us And their hand would go down, and their chin would go up towards my friends, and then it was like time would slow down. And they would see me, and we would make eye contact with each other at 30 miles an hour going the opposite way, and it was like they were choosing to bless me, and they would keep the chin up, and they would keep the hand down, and they would wave at me, and I would be like, oh, yeah, 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 right? Like, just trying to do the thing. And and this small well of joy would spring up inside me when this would happen. And the reason is because... I knew I didn't belong, and yet I was being welcomed in anyways. I was being graciously welcomed in anyways. I I knew that I could not earn my way in, but they were choosing to bless me and welcome me in anyway. And this is the key to joy. To realize I don't belong, but I'm welcomed in anyway. So let's look at how this plays out in in Psalm 100. Look look with me at verse 3. It says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. 
So it starts with this very high view of God. We just, we just read about this together in the affirmation of faith. This, he is the Lord. Now, when you see Lord in all caps in your English Bibles, that is sort of a stand-in for the divine name for Yahweh. And this is the name that God uses to reveal himself to the Israelite people right before the Exodus, right before he rescues them out of slavery in Egypt. So just the mention of the divine name of Yahweh is meant to make us tremble with wonder at God's power. This is the one who toppled Pharaoh's brutally oppressive army. This is the one who made a way for his people through certain death by parting the Red Sea. So that's where it starts. And then it says that this same Yahweh who so powerfully rescued his people is also God, our maker. It says he is God, it is he who made us. Now, anytime you talk about someone making something else, it's, it's a significant statement about how those two things relate to one another. The maker has ownership over the thing made. For some of you in this room, your, your livelihood is the things that you create. Um, so you, you make something, it could be a dress, it could be a piece of music, um, it could be a film, it could be an algorithm, and the, and the thing that you make is your, is your livelihood, and you feel a sense of ownership over that thing. When you make it, you bristle when someone criticizes it or points out a flaw. You swell with pride when someone praises it. And the reason is because that thing is in yours. You have put part of yourself into it, and you, you feel a sense of ownership and authority over the thing that you have made. And the psalmist is saying that God has made us, and we are his. That we don't belong to ourselves, we belong to him. So the psalmist is painting this grand picture of who God is. He is powerful. He is transcendent. He is far above us. He is our maker. But then he says that this God, this powerful, transcendent God who made us is also near. He is our shepherd and we are his sheep. It's exactly what Gene was talking about earlier, right? That it's telling us this God is great, but this God is also good. Now, this imagery of shepherd and sheep is not altogether flattering for us, um, but it's important nonetheless. Sheep are not bright. They're not very intelligent creatures. They're rather helpless. They need help finding food and water that won't kill them. Most sheep will just eat anything that's green, even if it's poisonous to them. They'll get lost and not be able to find their way home. They, they can't really protect themselves from predators. Sheep need a lot of help. And so the psalmist is saying this magnificent, transcendent God who is so far above us is also our shepherd. He is great and he is good. He is near to us. He helps us. He's attentive to our needs. He cares for us. He guides us. He feeds us. He protects us. And then in verse 4, the image gets even richer because it invites us to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Now, this, this imagery of, of gates and courts can sometimes be lost on us, but this is the language of the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament, which were the places of God's powerful presence with his people. This is an invitation to, to come into God's home to be with him. 
These, the, the tabernacle and the temple were the places of God's powerful, loving presence. This is an invitation to intimate access to God, an invitation to get comfortable with him, if I could even put it this way, to get cozy with him in his home. That's what the psalmist is inviting us to. Now, do you see the contrast that he's putting before us? He's saying, here's this God who is transcendent. He is far above us. He's our maker. He's powerful. And here we are. We are sheep. We are helpless. We are needy. And yet, he invites us to his home to make our home with him there. He raises his chin. He lowers his hand. And he welcomes us in. He welcomes us in. That is the source of joy in the Christian life. That's the birthplace of this deep, abiding, resilient gladness to look at God and to see his majesty and to see his beauty and to see his goodness and to look at yourself and to see how sinful and helpless you are and then to hear him say with warmth and with kindness, come into my home. Come and be with me. You are mine and I am yours. That's the source of joy. But here's the catch. God can't just welcome us in. He can't just raise the chin and lower the hand and welcome us in because if he, if he waved us in, we would be destroyed. Space travel is uh, big business right now. It absolutely terrifies me, this idea of space tourism. Um, I don't really know all of you in this room, but it's possible that maybe some of you have been to space because that's a thing now. Um, but the last time I checked, none of the companies that are taking people into space are marketing missions to the sun. No one is marketing a mission to the sun. And why? Because that would be foolish. Because a mission to the sun would completely destroy us. We are not equipped to approach something so great and so powerful. We would totally disintegrate if we did. And the same is true of us when it comes to being in God's presence. The Bible says that God is love. That there is this dance of pure, unfiltered love that's been happening between the Father and the Son and the Spirit from all eternity and will continue into eternity. That they radiate with pure, unfiltered love. And if we were to get too close, it would disintegrate us. Even though we were actually made to live in His presence, the thing that we were made for is now a threat to us because of our sin, because we are too unloving. We are too selfish. We are too bent in upon ourselves to enter into the presence of such pure, unfiltered, radiating love without being destroyed. But here's the thing. Jesus can. Jesus can. He can enter freely into the Father's presence because he radiates with pure love in the same way that the Father does. He never had a stray prideful impulse or lustful glance. He never, he never um, once gave in to the temptation to use his power for selfish gain. He lived with perfect humility and service and love towards those around them. He always used his words to build up, to tell the truth, but to do so in love. He humbly walked with his Father in heaven, acknowledging him, trusting him, patiently waiting on him for provision and for guidance, he radiates love back towards his father, so much so that he obeyed him even when it meant dying. And not just dying, 
but doing so in excruciating fashion, bearing the condemnation that his enemies deserve so that he could throw open the gates to his Father's loving presence for them. That is true, pure love, and that is the spring of joy. That's what makes joy possible. Again, in verse 4, this is why the psalmist picks up the commandments to be joyful again. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. He's saying, draw near. Draw near to God with gratitude and with joy. Why? Because the best thing that will ever happen to you already has. The best thing that will ever happen to you already has the infinite, eternal, wise God of all things, the one who has made you, the one against whom each one of us has rebelled, has invited you to frolic in his pure, radiating love through the work of Jesus. You are as loved now by the Father as Jesus always has been. You are as loved now by the Father as Jesus always has been. And because you did not earn that love, because it is a gift to you from Jesus, you cannot lose it either. It endures forever. Look at verse 5. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. The psalmist isn't just making a general declaration here about sort of the general nature Of God's love, it's personal. Yahweh is his personal name, and he's saying Yahweh is good. And he has aimed his goodness at you. His love for you is pure, and it endures forever. He will never abandon you or forsake you. Through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, God has brought you from death to life. From condemnation to loving embrace, from orphan to beloved child, from enslaved to sin to free in Christ, from hell-bound to glory-bound. The best thing that will ever happen to you already has. And because of this, every Christian has a spring of deep, resilient, and abiding gladness at the very center of their life. A promotion at work or a marriage proposal, it it can't give that to you. It's deeper than your circumstances. The betrayal of a friend or a persistent injustice cannot cancel it out. It is resilient in the face of suffering. A devastating diagnosis or the loss of a loved one or even your own sin cannot take it away. It is sturdy enough to abide even through death into eternity. We'll close with this thought from the great African theologian, St. Augustine. He said that our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God, which is just another way of saying that we will be perpetually searching for joy until we learn to find it in God, in His presence. So the path to joy comes in the simple realization that through his son Jesus, God has actually given us the one thing that we desperately ache for, the one thing that we crave, the one thing that we need, and that is himself. That is himself. So 
Know that the Lord, that he is God. It is he who made you and you are his. You are one of the precious sheep of his pasture, and he has graciously made the way for you to enter through his gates and into his home to find joy in his presence. Would you pray with me? Father, it is hard sometimes in the chaos of life to hear your voice, to experience the joy that is ours through Jesus in your presence. So as we we take a moment now and maybe even for the rest of today to consider all these things that we've seen in Psalm 100, would would you meet with us? And would you teach us what it means to be joyful? We pray these in the name of Jesus. Amen.